open your Bibles to Luke chapter one. We're gonna be in the text that Bennett read for us so beautifully earlier in the ad, when he lit the Advent candle. This is the story of Mary. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're in an Advent series called Waiting. Waiting is inextricably tied to Advent because Advent means arrival. And anytime someone or something is going to arrive, there is a process of waiting, sometimes long waiting, sometimes short waiting, but you cannot separate an arrival from a process of waiting. What we've learned in this series is we've talked about lessons about waiting from the Advent story is we've learned that we are not very good at waiting. I knew this about myself, but I was reminded two nights ago on Friday night we were coming to Nowhere Town, the six o'clock performance, and we were on our way with our family. We'd left just in time to be here a few minutes early so we could get, get some seats. And as we came up Franklin Road, we passed by the dry cleaners that I use, and I'd remembered I'd dropped off my dress shirts earlier in the week and forgotten to pick them up. So we're driving by and I realized, okay, I need this dress shirt for, for Saturday because I'm, I'm gonna be officiating a memorial service on Saturday. And if I don't pick up this dress shirt, I'm gonna have to go to the store and buy one. I didn't want to do that. So, so Jody Googled the dry cleaner and what time they close and found they close at 6.30. Now, this is 5.45, somewhere in that range. So I said, Jody, I'm gonna drop you guys off of the church. I'm gonna turn back around. I'm gonna go to the dry cleaners and I'm gonna hurry and not be late to Nowhere Town. So I zipped in that little circle, you know, on our campus. They jumped out. I zipped through the parking lot, maybe going a little bit faster than I should have gone. And I got up to the, the uh, left turn on Franklin Road. Not good, guys. Left, we know that's that place where you sit and you sit and you sit. And it was at this point 5.50 or so on Friday afternoon. Now, one of you was in front of me. And let's just say you weren't in as much of a hurry as I was. <laughs> and so I was sitting there waiting behind you. You had a minivan. Your kid was watching cartoons on the TV. I was watching it with him. And I was sitting behind you and a break came in the traffic and you did not go. <laughs> and then the cars came again and I was getting so frustrated. And then a second break came in the traffic. Now, albeit this one was a little bit smaller, but it was big enough for you to go and you did not go. <laughs> and your pastor was sitting behind you cursing under my breath. <laughs> and then it just hit me in that moment. I was like, I'm supposed to preach a sermon on Sunday on waiting. <laughs> And this poor member of our church here, I'm like revving up right on your tail. So one, you might actually remember this. Um, I won't tell you what kind of vehicle I was in. We're not good at waiting. We live in a time, we live in a place, we live in a culture that's just all about now. It's if, if I, who wants delayed gratification? I just want now gratification. I want instant gratification. In our Advent series, we're looking at lessons about waiting. We're, we're going to be talking about three characters from the story. Two weeks ago, Lloyd set it all up by talking about the long period of waiting, 400 years of silence that led up to Jesus' birth. Then one week ago, Lloyd taught on Joseph. And I love the lesson from last week. You know, Lloyd said, don't miss the fact that Joseph had to let go of his stress and burden and go to sleep. And that's when God showed up in his trouble. And God gave him a clear message and Joseph obeyed. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the stories of Mary and Simeon. Two characters that honestly don't have a whole lot in common. One was young near the beginning of her life. One was old near the end of his life. They never would have met each other except they were both waiting on the same thing, the arrival of Jesus Christ. 
And this morning, as we focus on Mary's story, we're going to learn a lesson about waiting from Mary. So let's look at the text. I'm going to start back in verse 26. So Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We'll just take it a few verses at a time. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The sixth month refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And, and you'll hear how she connects to the story, but Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. She was experiencing a miraculous pregnancy of her own, and she was one of Mary's relatives. So in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel is sent by God. Now, Gabriel's an angel. Angel just means messenger. That's all that means. So God wants to deliver a message to someone, and he calls a messenger, Gabriel. And he says, deliver this message. And I imagine the conversation went something like this. Gabriel, go to this little tiny little town of Nazareth that you probably didn't even know existed because it wasn't much. And I want you to find this unknown, young, probably 14, 15, 16-year-old girl who, who's not in line to be a queen. She's not wealthy. She's not a, a person of influence, nor is she from a family of influence. I want you to find this one particular young girl, and I want you to tell her that through, who, through her, God himself will visit mankind and through her, the entire world will be changed. And oh, by the way, Mary's own life story will be turned upside down through this message. And so Gabriel goes and, you know, I don't know what these angelic messengers think or, you know, all that they're aware of, but he must have thought this is shocking God had spoken to prophets. God had spoken to great leaders in the Old Testament, people like Moses, but this, this was a nobody. And I don't mean that as a, anything bad against Mary. She, she just, she wasn't anybody. She was just like you and me. She was just a person. Gabriel came to deliver the message. There was nothing about Mary that would create an expectation that she would receive this kind of message from God. Let's look at what the angel said, verse 28. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It's an interesting insight about Mary. If you read Luke closely, you can kind of pick up hints of Mary's personality. It's pretty clear by the writing of Luke that Mary had told him things privately he knew details of the story that no one except Mary would know. So we know that Luke had, you know, some kind of access to Mary when he was writing the gospel and Mary had told him these things. And what we learn about Mary is she was a thinker. She was a reflective person. There's another hint to that in Luke chapter 2 verse 19, a, a famous line when it says, Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. I think that's the kind of Young woman she was. She was an internal processor. She was a reflective person. In, in our text this morning, it says, you know, she tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. Now, the word troubled, it says she was troubled at the saying. I think a more helpful way to understand that word troubled would be she was confused. Like she's trying to discern what's going on. She's confused. What kind of greeting is this? And I think what she's probably confused by is that she's called favored one. What is it about me, she's thinking. I'm not a favored one. I'm poor. No one knows me. Not 
perfect. I'm a sinner. Why am I a favored one? Then this second part of the greeting, the Lord is with you. She must have been thinking, what in the world does that mean? And, and we know what it means. You know, there's a lot of irony. Literally, the Lord is with her in a very physical, tangible sense, and she is not yet aware of it. I think that this message was particularly to Mary, but in a more general term, it was to all of mankind. I want you to hear it that way as well. Mary's a representative of all of mankind. And so a messenger from God comes to a representative of mankind, Mary, and says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Do you hear the Christmas message in that? Gabriel must have thought, this is incredible. God is actually going to become one of these humans. How blessed they are. How favored they are. The Lord's with them. So hear that greeting, not just for Mary, but for the whole human race. Yourself included. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 30 says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It doesn't say Mary had earned favor. It says she found favor. And furthermore, the word favor in the Greek actually means grace. It's the Greek word charis. It means grace. And so if you think about in English, you know, favor can mean you're the favorite one or, you know, because of some good trait of yours, you've been picked out as exceptional. It can mean that in English. But favor could also mean it's just by no strength of your own, you've been given grace. And that's the kind of grace that Mary received. That's the kind of favor. There's nothing in our text to indicate Mary was deserving. In fact, the, the word itself means grace. You found grace. She didn't earn it. In fact, if you understand what grace actually is, grace by definition is unmerited favor. And so if you think you have earned grace, you haven't found it yet. Mary was just going along her life. She found grace. Almost as if grace found her. Now, what are the implications of finding grace? Well, the angel connects the dots for us. He says, don't be afraid. For, because, you have found favor with God. Now, isn't that true that if you believe God's on your side, you have nothing to fear? So that's where Gabriel starts with her because he knows he's about to tell her some scary news. He's about to turn her life upside down. So he starts with this. It's like, it's gonna be okay. God's on your side. You found grace with God. So don't be afraid. And this is true for you and I as well. If you really believe God is for you, what is there to be afraid of? Hard to believe, isn't it? So he goes on, Gabriel does, to tell her the full implications of the message. And this is where it gets scary. This is where it gets crazy. And this is the part that was read earlier to us. Look at it again, verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do you see how this message kind of builds a little bit in shock value? It's like, you're, you're, you're going to be pregnant and bear a son. Whoa. He's going to be a great man. 
Okay, that's cool. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. What? The Lord will give him the throne. You mean he's going to be the king? And, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever? There'll be no end to his kingdom? How is that possible? And then at some point, Mary's probably realizing, wait a minute, I've heard stories about this. This is the promised Messiah. Me? And so her response in verse 34 is very logical. Makes a lot of sense. Verse 34, she says to the angel, how, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now she could have said, how will this be? How, how can a, a, a man live forever on a throne and rule forever? You know, how will it be that, that I'm a nobody and I've been chosen for this? But the thing that, that first gets her mind is she's like, hold on, I know how this works. I know the laws of nature and I know it's physically impossible for me to be pregnant. How will this be, she says, since I am a virgin? It, it's a very logical question. It, it also reveals that Mary is still thinking small. And how can we blame her? But she doesn't realize all that's going to happen. She doesn't realize this incredible miracle that, that God is doing in this. And so the angel's going to make it clear. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit, okay? That's the Spirit of God. So God himself, he's saying, God himself will come upon you. Scary. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Beautiful and scary. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Holy means set apart. The Son of God. Okay, so she's starting to get the picture. Oh, this is not going to be an earthly conception. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, so I love the response of the messenger, Gabriel. He says, think bigger. God is not restrained by natural laws. In fact, if he's the creator of the natural laws, he stands outside of the natural laws and he can do whatever he wants to do. So that's the first one, is, is think, think bigger. And let me offer you some proof that nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth, the barren one, the one who would be well past the age of childbearing. She's pregnant. And not just barely pregnant, she's two-thirds of the way into her pregnancy. And so it's an invitation for Mary to actually go and see as confirmation that these crazy words are really from God. And that's what Mary does. So young Mary here has this incredibly profound response to all of this in verse 38. And this is what I mostly want to focus on for the rest of our time. Look at it with me. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So that's what Gabriel needed to hear. He didn't have to explain anything else. He didn't have to answer any more questions. He didn't have to try to convince her. Mary says, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I had never thought that much about Mary's response until studying it this week. And the more I think about it, the more remarkable I see it. She didn't have to respond so humbly. You know, she didn't have to have such open hands. 
There are actually a lot of stories in the Bible about great men and women who did not respond as well as Mary to a word from God that would change their lives. I was thinking about Moses. Moses' first response was not me. Choose someone else. I'm inadequate. I stutter. I'm not the one. Think about Abraham. Abraham's response when God said, you're going to become a great nation. Abraham was like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to take my my wife's servant and we're going to get this thing going. And that was not God's plan. Think about Jonah. Jonah outright said, I'm not doing what you want to do, God. And Jonah ran away from God. So, so, and by the way, God redeemed all those stories. Mary could have said, I'm not so sure about this. And I think God would have redeemed it. He would have redeemed the story. He didn't have to. Her humility comes out and she's a young teenager. She didn't know what she was fully saying, but there was a posture in her heart where this was her response to the message of God. Let it be to me according to your word. I wonder if God chose her because she was a nobody in a sense, because she didn't have a lot of barriers to receiving grace. Mary says, behold, that word just means look. And she says, you know, behold, I'm a servant. I think what she's saying is, look at me, you know, I'm a servant. Who am I to say no to this? It's such humility. It says, look at me. Who am I to say that's not what I want for my life? She says, behold, look at me. I'm a servant. Let it be to me according to your word. When Mary said those words, little did she know how much they would cost her. Little did she know what she would have to endure as the mother of the Son of God. Let's think about all the difficult waiting that Mary would have to endure from that point on her life, in her life on. She first had to wait to see what her betrothed, her fiance Joseph would think about this and what he would ultimately do. And she knew that that could go poorly talked about that story last week when Lloyd was here. Then she had to wait for the inevitable scorn that she would have in the town and with everyone. No one was going to believe the crazy story. I doubt she even told the story of the angel to that many because why bother? They won't believe me. She had to wait for the baby to arrive. All parents in the room know how anxious that can be. And and these were unusual circumstances, especially having to travel a dangerous path to go to a, a different town. After Jesus was born, she had to wait until it was safe to return to Nazareth. And that wasn't a few days or a few months. That was a few years. They had to flee to Egypt because their lives were in danger. And she had to wait and wait and wait to get home to her family. Once they got home, she had to wait to see what would happen next. How was it that her young son, you know, apprenticing and, and becoming a carpenter, how, was, how would he become a king? Let's wait to see how that turns out. During Jesus' ministry, she had to wait for it all to make sense. She didn't know what to make of it. She and Jesus' other brothers, they thought maybe he was starting to lose his grip a little bit. And then on Good Friday, Mary had to stand beside the cross and wait for her son to die. Bleeding. Slow death. Then for two long nights afterward, Mary had to wait for anything redeemable to come after this. 
Let it be to me according to your word, Mary had said, having no clue what it would cost. Not really. But in some sense, her open-handed posture was there nonetheless. And make no mistake, Mary's openness to God's will cost her everything. God was gracious with Mary and he knew Mary did not know all that it would cost when she said that, but God knew what it would cost Mary. And so God saw fit to send a second messenger to Mary to warn her what it would cost. Now it wasn't an angelic messenger this time, it was a, a prophet. It was an old man named Simeon. And Simeon encountered Mary about 10 months after Gabriel. At this point, when Mary meets Simeon, she had had Jesus probably about a month before, and it was time to go to the temple to dedicate the child and for Mary's purification after the birth, and they made an offering. And this old man, Simeon, comes to them. And you can just imagine what this was like. We'll talk more about Simeon's story next week. But Simeon says, God told me I would not die until I saw your baby, the hope of Israel, the hope of the world. And Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he says, this is it, this is him. And so Simeon said a lot of things about Jesus, you know, some prophecy about how God was gonna work through him. And then he turns to Mary and Simeon had a message specifically for Mary. This old prophet, put it on the screen, Luke 2.34. I want you to see what Simeon said to Mary. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul. That must have been a, a buzzkill right there. I mean, the, the angels didn't say any of that. You know, this has been like joyful. It's been happy. He's going to be Messiah. He's going to be king. This is a really good thing. And then Simeon comes and he's like, he's going to be a sign that's going to be opposed. And guess what, Mary? It's going to come right through your own heart. A sword through your soul. Can you imagine anything more painful? It's one thing for a sword to pierce your body. Okay, that pain will only last so long. But a sword will pierce your soul. This is God through the prophet Simeon warning Mary, giving her an idea of saying, yes, it's going to cost you to have an open-handed posture. And I wonder, okay, fast forward 33 years to, to the, Jesus is now on the cross and, and those two sleepless nights between the crucifixion and the resurrection when that sword was piercing Mary's soul, watching her son die, not knowing what was going to come after I wonder if in those sleepless nights, Mary's mind went back to Simeon's words. A sword will pierce my own soul. And I wonder if at that same time, Mary also thought about Gabriel's words. Greetings, O favored one. You found favor with God. And I wonder if she thought, which is it? Have I found favor with God or is the sword of God now piercing my soul? Of course, it was both. Life is both.
It's grace and it's a sword. There are moments in life that are grace-filled and beautiful and glorious and hopeful and then there are moments when your soul is in anguish. And you live long enough and you start thinking maybe they're one and the same. Let's go back to Mary's words to Gabriel because in them we'll find our lesson about waiting. Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Again, she didn't know all to expect, but she knew enough to say, however this goes, grace or sword, let it be to me according to your word. Mary is essentially saying, I'm a servant. That means your agenda, God, is my agenda. I'm not going to try to change it. I'm not going to try to control it. Let it be to me according to your word, according to your plan. Here's Mary's lesson for us about waiting. There's only one real way to wait. And that's with open hands. That's the only way to do it. That's the beauty of waiting because it forces us to loosen our grip on life. Waiting gives you no choice but to open yourself up to possibilities beyond your control. When you're in a posture of waiting, you don't know. You might expect something's gonna happen, but you don't know until it arrives, until it happens. You might be hopeful, you might be dreading, but you don't know. You're forced to open your hands. And the only way to really wait as opposed to just worrying and being eaten up with anxiety. The only way to really wait is to open your hands and essentially say, I won't try to control, I won't try to change it. May it be to me according to your word, God. My own family has been in a season like this in the last couple of weeks. Many of you don't know this. We, we've posted about it on, on Facebook, but we had a memorial service yesterday for my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, Tim. He passed away about 10 days ago. Now, Tim's story was a story with a lot of grace and a lot of sword-piercing moments. Tim was 62 years old when he passed away. As a young man, a teenager, Tim knew that he had the genetic marker for Huntington's disease. Tim's father died of Huntington's disease at 50 years old when my brother-in-law was 23. Tim's older brother, Bob, also had Huntington's disease. Bob died in his late 40s. Tim knew it was a matter of time before his symptoms would start showing up. If you're not familiar with Huntington's, and, and I wasn't and, until I got to know Tim, Huntington's is a neurological disease that doesn't have a cure. It slowly over years destroys your brain. It takes away your motor function. It takes away your, your processing, your thinking over time. 
It even distorts and changes your personality. It is an awful, terrible disease. Tim walked bravely in a long process, a long race, a long journey. And in that process, there were some incredible moments. Tim found a woman who, knowing his story, said, I want to walk this path with you. That was my sister, Kimberly. They adopted two sons. The early years of their marriage and family were the glory years, as Tim would call them. They were beautiful. Tim was well. Huntington's had not shown up yet. He was a great dad, a great husband. And then things changed. The disease started taking control of him. He became someone that he was not. Life became very, very difficult in their home. And Tim went through a process, honestly, of denial where he struggled to accept the fact that this was happening to him at this point in time. And so he, he didn't come under any doctor's care at that time. He didn't go on any medication, which could have helped him with some of his emotional and mental symptoms. And so Kimberly and her two sons moved to Franklin, Tennessee without their husband because they could no longer live with him. The situation was that bad. And they arrived here five or six years ago. It's been wonderful to be close to them. They live in Spring Hill and attend our Franklin campus. Through a crazy and miraculous series of events, Tim, not in a well state, rented a car in Virginia and drove to Franklin. He did not know where Kimberly was living, but he had my address, and he showed up at, at our house the night before Easter about four years ago. And I got a text from Tim saying, I'm here. I thought, what do you mean you're here? <laughs> and he was here. And I won't go into all the details, but God intervened in some powerful ways, and Tim got on some medication. Tim got some medicine that helped him and, and was able to sort of transform him back a little bit to who he was. And it didn't solve the disease, but they were able to be together again as a family. It's a beautiful story. It's a story of redemption. And for the last several years, Tim's been living with Kimberly, my sister, my two nephews, Landon and Logan, and this has been a sweet season of their life. And then two Saturdays ago, Tim had a massive stroke. Very unexpected. He'd been doing so well. But God allowed this massive stroke into his life. It paralyzed the left side of his body. Tim never fully regained consciousness. He passed away about five days later. But I will tell you, in those five days, there were moments of grace. Kimberly was able to communicate with Tim. He couldn't talk, but he could squeeze her hand. He wasn't fully conscious all the time. He was never really able to open his eyes on his own. But there were moments we knew he could hear us. We knew he was there. There was one time where there were tears in his eyes as we were talking about he was about to see, be with Jesus. He's about to see his dad again. He's about to see his brother again. Tim was there. The last two weeks have been filled with grace and they've been filled with sword-piercing moments. It's been both. My brother-in-law's life was filled with both. And your life and my life are filled with both. The invitation of Jesus is to hold both, to hold the tension. And within that tension, not knowing what's next for you, is it grace? Is it sword? Is it both? To hold that tension and say, let it be to me according to your word. I've got one more thing I've got to say about this because how can you live that way? How can anyone live that way? 
How could Mary live that way? How could my brother-in-law live? How could my sister live with this open-handed posture? Grace, sword, both. Only if you believe the greeting of Gabriel is also for you. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. That's the message of Christmas. If you dare to believe the God of the universe is for you and with you, you can open your hands to anything he has for you. We need to believe. We need to lean in this Christmas. We need to lean into it. We need to say, I dare to believe that all this is true. And here's what that means. It means that, that I have grace and I have Christ. And so I can enter into whatever life holds with open hands. May it be to me according to your word. And our Father, as we consider, as we pray, as we lean in, to the story that we believe is true. I pray for grace. I pray for faith. I pray that you would stir all of us. And I pray, Father, that as we consider the child, the son, the babe, the, all the words that we've been singing, as we let the words come out of our mouths through these Christmas carols, may they find their way to bolster our hearts, believing what is true, believing that we have found grace, and believing that you are with us. And I pray, Father, for the men and women in this room that are walking in very difficult, sword-piercing moments of their lives. And for those that are in moments of joy and grace and favor, may the both and of life open our hands. And may we rest in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.